We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Today's reading is from Ephesians 5. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You can take your seat. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we don't know what the future holds, but we can know who holds it because you have revealed yourself to us through your word. And so we thank you, God, that, that you desire to be known, that you desire relationship, that you desire our hearts. And so we pray that you would meet us wherever we are this morning. Lord, whether we're here and we're unconvinced that you even exist, whether we're here for the first time in a long time, we're the first time ever in a church, Lord, whether we bring burdens and we're worried about this year, filled with anxieties about what else can go wrong in our lives, or we're here, Lord, hopeful, hopeful for new beginnings, for better days. Lord, we all need the same thing. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your presence. And so, Spirit of God, we pray that you would penetrate our hearts that you would speak to us in a powerful way that moves us and changes us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again and Happy New Year. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's so good to have you with us here in person or online. You all do get bonus points for being here on the Sunday after New Year's Eve. You are the real ones. So thanks for being here. Uh, it's so good to to worship with you. Today we're going to be looking at this question, how do we make the most out of 2022? And if you look it up, if you search that question, how to make the most of 2022, you're going to find a bunch of articles that talk about being wise with your money, about being wise with your energy, wise with your time, wise with your relationships, wise in love, wise uh, with what you eat, wise with your health. And those are all really important things, things that we should all be wise about, but none of them actually will make you or break you. And that's what today's passage is really about. According to the passage that we've just read, 
the only thing that will make you break you are not the things that you do or the things that are done to you, but what you believe. Uh, your faith will make you or break you. See, no one ends any year thinking, I've arrived, I've done it all. No more New Year's resolutions for me. Every year comes with new resolutions because we're never good enough. We never have enough. There's an endless list of things about ourselves and about our lives that we always want to change. And so today's passage shows us that the change that we're looking for, the new beginning that we're looking for, is within reach. Not by what we do, not by what's done to us, but through faith. So let's break down this passage by looking at three things. Number one, we're going to look at the danger of folly. And number two, we're going to look at the importance of wisdom. And then number three, we're going to look at the power of worship. Start with the danger of of folly. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the Ephesians, starts this passage by warning us not to walk unwisely. Again, he's not talking about being unwise with our money or our time or our diet. He actually talks about being unwise about evil. Look at what he says in verses 15 through 16. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. What Paul is saying here is that 2022 is not neutral. 2022 is not actually a blank slate. 2022 will not be whatever you make of it. As much as we might like to, we can't just turn the page on 2021. Just like every other year after Adam and Eve first sinned against God, 2022 will be filled with human brokenness and human sin. In other words, Paul is saying that it would be foolish not to plan for evil this year. He's saying that it takes wisdom to see evil. Paul's saying don't be naive about evil. Don't be foolish. We are not living in neutral days. We are living in evil days because every single one of us is worse than we think we are. And that doesn't mean that there's nothing but evil, that the world is filled with evil. It means that there is evil always beneath the surface, even beneath the surface of goodness and beauty. Did you know that Adolf Hitler never swore? He never cursed. He never used profanity. Uh, Not when he was speaking in public, when he was trying to work people up into a frenzy. Not when he was saying incredibly hateful and spiteful words. Not in private, when he was dealing with all kinds of things that made him rage. Hitler never cursed. And it's kind of weird, because he looks like the type of person that would curse. Why didn't Hitler ever curse? Well, it's because he thought that he was a good person. He thought, you know, I'm going to systematically murder six million Jewish people, but at least I don't curse. His evil was hidden beneath this goodness and beauty that he valued. See, evil can be hard to see. 
Evil isn't always obvious. Sometimes it's hidden beneath good. It's the, evil is the discontent of perfectionism. It's the unforgiveness of an otherwise generous person. It's the ungrateful heart of a sacrificial giver. It's the cynicism beneath religious devotion. It's the envy that eats away at a kind person. It's the despair of someone who always has to say, I'm fine, nothing is wrong, I'm okay. When Paul says that the days are evil, he's not saying that people are pure evil. He's saying there is unexpected evil inside every single one of us. And so you need to prepare for evil. You need to be wise about evil. It is unwise to drive one inch at 100 miles per hour in front of the car that is ahead of you. The, the slightest unexpected movement, movement the slightest unexpected change in speed can lead to a catastrophic accident. And Paul is saying that just like you need to slow down and make space when you're driving on the freeway, you need to slow down and make space for evil in your life. You need to slow down and make space for evil this year. If you don't make space for evil, if you don't expect evil, the tiniest evil can wreck you. You'll be caught off guard. You will end up thinking the worst of yourself when you do something that's disappointing, when you commit a sin, when you do something wrong, or you will think the worst of other people when they wrong you. You'll become pessimistic or you'll become cynical, and both responses are foolish and unwise. You see, if 2022 is a blank slate, and if 2022 is whatever you make of it, that means you better not mess it up. And it also means no one else better mess it up. When things go wrong, when you end up facing unexpected consequences, you will end up hating yourself or you'll end up hating someone else. If 2022 is a blank slate, evil will wreck your year every single year. But Christianity is realistic about evil. The Bible calls these evil days. And it's not, to, it, it's, not, it's not a form of pessimism or cynicism. The Bible is actually giving us hopeful realism. The Bible is trying to open up the way to genuine hope because if the days are evil, that means your hope cannot depend upon you and it can't depend on anyone else, but it can depend on God. See, wisdom is not afraid of evil days because wisdom believes that God has given us a path through evil days. This brings us to the second point in today's passage, the importance of wisdom. Well, what is wisdom? I think Paul gives us a really beautiful and succinct explanation of wisdom in verse 16. He says that the wise make the most of their every opportunity. They make the best use of their time. Time is the great equalizer. We all have the same amount of time in any given day. And we can use our time poorly. We could use our time well. And how do you know the difference? How do you know if you're using your time well? How do you know if you're using your time wisely? Well, in verse 17, Paul tells us the only way is to understand what the Lord's will is. 
Paul's saying, if you want to make the most of your time, you can't just avoid evil. You need to know what God wants. You need to know what God's will is. You need to pursue God's will in your life. How do you know that? How do you know what God wants? How do you know God's will? Well, the most basic way to understand God's will is to know the difference between right and wrong. We need to know God's moral will. What does God say about what's right and wrong? And you can figure that out by reading the Bible. Read the Ten Commandments. Read what God says about what's right and wrong. But when we talk about understanding God's will, usually we're not talking about the difference between right and wrong. We're talking about how do I choose between left or right, this or that, yes or no. Do I move or do I stay? Do I take this job or do I wait for another opportunity, a better opportunity? Do I pursue this relationship or do I cut and run? We're, these are the decisions that occupy our thoughts and we wonder what does God want me to do? And this is a lot trickier. Now, before we get into decision-making, and I think Paul has a lot for us here about how to make our decisions, um, it's important that we remember that we live in evil days. And so we actually shouldn't rush to figuring out what God wants us to decide. We actually need, it would be wise for us to actually remember that there is unexpected evil inside all of us. We shouldn't assume that we know the difference between right and wrong. And so when we make big decisions, we should all examine our hearts, examine our motives, because we all bring impure motives into life's decisions. When I was eight years old, I gave my dad uh, the Michael Jackson Thriller album for Christmas. And, and my dad is not a Michael Jackson fan. He's you know, more a fan of Beethoven than Michael. But I was eight years old, I really wanted that album, and so, you know, it was really a, a gift for myself. <laughs> I had impure, impure motives. And this is how we all are as we face all of life's decisions. We are all capable of saying, this is God's will. I'm following God's will when we're actually following our own will. So we, it would do us all good to examine our motives, examine our hearts. Now, after you've examined your motives, how do you know what God wants you to do? And Paul's answer is wisdom. Wisdom doesn't look for the right decision. Wisdom looks for the best decision among many possible right decisions. Wisdom is knowing what is best in a murky situation. Wisdom is relentlessly pursuing the glory of God and the good of others in gray areas. Wisdom is kind of like picking a really good Christmas gift. Not a gift for yourself, but a gift that really suits the person that you're gifting. Now, there are many gifts that could be right for someone, but what is the best gift? The only way to do that, to pick the best gift, is to know the person deeply and intimately. To know what they love, to know what they need, to know what they already have. See, wisdom requires relationship. If you want to make the most of every opportunity, if you want to make the most of your time, if you want to understand what the Lord's will is, you need to double down in your relationship with God. You need to know God. You need to spend time with God. You need to know God's heart. And this is why Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit instead of getting drunk on wine. 
Paul is saying you can't get filled by the Spirit by moderately taking a sip here and there. You see how this analogy works? He's saying don't be a social drinker of the Spirit of God. You need to imbibe deeply of the Spirit of God, deeply until you see your behavior changing, and until you see your emotions changing, until you see your desires changing, your thinking changing. You need to saturate yourself with the presence of God and the Spirit of God because wisdom is immoderate. Wisdom is excessive. Wisdom is extra. Wisdom constantly asks us, how can I serve and glorify God more in this opportunity? Wisdom is not satisfied with merely doing what is wrong or avoiding sin or avoiding evil. Wisdom says, how can I please God most in this opportunity? How can I serve others most in this opportunity? Getting drunk with wine will cloud your judgment, but being filled with the Spirit will bring clarity. Because it helps you focus on what's most important, the will of the Lord. So how do you get filled with the Spirit? The answer is through the power of worship. This brings us to our last point, the power of worship. Paul says that the Holy Spirit fills you when you speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. He's talking about the power of worship. We all do different sorts of things with different friends, all right? Uh, we have work friends, and what you do with your work friends may be different from, from what you do with the friends that you grew up with. Uh, if, you're, if you're like me, you have nerdy friends that you do nerdy things with, and you try to keep the nerdy part of your life separate from the rest of your life so you don't make people feel too uncomfortable, right? The most unique activity that defines our relationship with God is worship, is worship, and worship is powerful because worship creates a parallel society. Václav Havel was the last president of Czechoslovakia, and uh, after the fall of communism, he became the first president of the Czech Republic. When he was asked by an interviewer why the Velvet Revolution, which was the nonviolent revolution against communism in the Eastern Bloc, why it was so successful, this is what he said. He said, we had our parallel society, and in that parallel society, we wrote our plays and sang our songs and read our poems until we knew the truth so well that we could go out into the streets of Prague and say, we don't believe your lies anymore, and communism had to fall. See, when you worship together with your church family, when you speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, when you create a parallel, you create a parallel society, that's what we're doing when we worship. We're creating a parallel society where the last is first and the first is last, where sinners are forgiven, where death is defeated, where everything sad will become untrue, and where Jesus is Lord of all. Worship is powerful because it creates an alternate reality, a parallel society, and remo reminds us where we truly belong. Worship is also powerful because it produces gratitude. Paul says that worship makes us give thanks to God the Father for everything. Now, everyone is grateful for some things, but it is rare to find someone 
who is grateful for everything. How do you do that? How can you be grateful for everything? How can you be grateful for sickness? How can you be grateful for pain and suffering? How can you be grateful for loss? How can you be grateful for estranged relationships? How can you be grateful when you don't get your way? How can you be grateful for a pervasive sense that you are not enough? Well, you can be grateful for everything only when you are grateful for God. One of the most paralyzing things about making big life decisions is the fear of regret. We're afraid that if we make the wrong choice, that bad things are going to happen. We're going to be filled with regret, and no one wants to live a life of regret. But the only way to live a life without regret is to be perfect. And none of us are perfect. But there is another way to live a life without regret. You can if you have a perfect savior. And the incredible message of Christianity is that the holy God who created and rules the world has no regrets about losing everything to love you. There's this powerful scene in the movie Good Will Hunting. Will Hunting, the title character of the movie, is meeting with his therapist, Sean, who's played by Robin Williams, and he's just found out that Sean's wife died of cancer. And he asks Sean, do you ever wonder what your life would be like if you had never met your wife? And Sean goes on to tell him this incredible story about the day he met his wife. It was game six of, of the World Series, 1975. Uh, he and his friends had camped out to get tickets to the game, and they were at a bar across the street from Fenway, waiting for the game to start, and in walks this woman. And Sean, played by Robin Williams, slides the tickets over to his friends, and he says, sorry, fellas, i got to see about a girl. And then this is what he goes on to say. He says, so, I don't regret the 18 years I was married to Nancy. I don't regret the six years when I had to give up counseling when she got sick. And I don't regret the last years when she got really sick, and I sure don't regret missing that game. See, love has the ability to face the worst with no regrets. Sean loved his wife so completely that everything he suffered for her was worth it. Now, don't you see that this is how God loves you in Jesus? You can give thanks to God the Father, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus has no regrets about you. He has no regrets about suffering for you. He has no regrets about dying for you. He has no regrets about paying for your sin, and he has faced the worst in you with no regrets. And here's the incredible thing. We are all worse than we think we are. That means that none of us fully comprehend what it meant for Jesus to die for us on the cross. But Jesus, who is omniscient, nothing is hidden from him. Jesus knew. He knew every single sin he was dying for. He saw every single one of us to the bottom. He was intimately aware of every sin that we would ever commit in our lives because every sin that we ever commit is against him. And even then, he had no regret about dying for you. And that's what this table represents. 
the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, because you have a perfect Savior who is unsurprised about anything that you ever do, who understands how bad you are and loves you completely at the greatest cost with no regrets. How do you make the best of 2022? Not by avoiding regret, but by clinging to the Savior who loves you with no regrets. Then and only then can you live your life with no regrets, hopeful no matter what you face. Do you know this love? You can today. On the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we'll never understand what he paid to save us, to save us from our regret, to save us from our poor decisions, to save us from our sin, to save us from our shame. But we thank you that because he died and he rose again, because his body was broken and his blood was shed for us, that we could know the unconditional love the incredible grace, the amazing grace that changes everything, that changes us, and promises that one day we will be with him in a world where all things are made new. And so we pray that you would build up our faith here at this table. In Jesus' name, amen.